The NBA season is heating up and Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon have got you covered on The Mismatch. They discuss all the news, the trends, and transactions happening around the league. They also offer their on-court analysis and occasionally get into heated debates. Check out The Mismatch on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help dot com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Coming up on New York, New York, I guess the Yankees forgot how to win. We know they can't beat the Rays, but they can't do anything right. We got a lot more on that. Bill's old buddy. Jacko is going to join New York, New York for the first time. We got John Flaherty of Yes. We got a giddy, fired up New York Knickerbocker fan base. I mean, this is like the bizarre world. The Yankees stink. The Knicks are fun, exciting, and watchable. What kind of world are we living in? Plus, a good weekend for the Mets. Tons of listener voicemails, and we're getting closer to the draft. New York, New York, coming up next. Alrighty, let's roll, baby. Welcome into episode seven of New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And I actually was dumb enough to think that this weekend, for some reason, would bring out the best in the New York Yankees. But no, but no, but no. The Yankees are now five and 10. The Yankees get swept by the Tampa Bay Rays. And here's the reality. Folks, anybody out there listening, anybody who is of the mindset, of the belief, oh, it's only April, it's only April, it's only April, you got to cut that narrative out immediately. And here's why. The Yankees are to a point with the way you have watched this team on a day-in and day-out basis where the old adage of it's only April doesn't apply, doesn't work. Because if you watch the team day in and day out, you acknowledge and you understand they're playing even worse than that 5-10 and 10 record would indicate. And I don't know where to begin. I, I honestly don't know where to begin, whether it is the lineup that cannot hit at all, the defense that continues to stink, the rotation that has no answers outside of Garrett Cole, the lack of a sense of urgency, and... That's why I was dumb enough to think the Yankees would play well this weekend. And 
This is where you got to take guys up and down to task. I had, I guess, Aaron Judge sound from a couple of days ago. We did our Friday podcast. Thursday, whatever the hell day it was. I don't even remember. And he was asked about playing a raise and the dominance that Tampa Bay has had over the Yankees over the last two years. And basically the narrative from Aaron Judge was, we'll let our play do the talking. Okay. You let your play do the talking. So on Friday, going with that dopey opener, which never works, and the Yankees try to outweigh the Rays, that really did the talking. Or how about the just subpar, pathetic, shameful defense that I saw on Friday night's game, not being able to turn a double play, not being able to put a tag down on Saturday, the center fielder who has a lower OPS than a guy who just retired, misplaying balls, can't hit, can't field, stinks. Hicks has been awful, unwatchable. And yet, I continue to see him in a three-hole. It's exhausting. I'm not going to lie, and I get it. I've had 20-plus years of my entire life where the Yankees have been top dog. But again, the arrogance from this organization in thinking they are much better than they are is laughable. You know what the Yankees are right now, folks? A 5-10 and baseball team. They can't even win a Garrett Cole start on Sunday. And what's the light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, they're going to hit some home runs. I mean, sooner or later, right? They can't continue to be this bad offensively, can they? But this is supposed to be a championship or bust type of year. This is supposed to be clearly the top dog in the American League. Who thinks that right now? What moron would be pounding their chest into thinking that this is some top elite upper echelon baseball team? They are not. They're not hitting, they're not pitching, they're not fielding. Here on whatever day it is, what is it? April the 18th. I want to make sure I got it right because I lose track of the days. And it honestly feels like Groundhog Day with the Yankees because every day I look up, every day they lose. And every day they lose to the Tampa Bay Rays, which I'm sick and tired of. And this is where I get to the manager. Aaron Boone, who is a nice guy, apparently lit into his team on Friday night. And he should have. They stunk. Caught one of those, you know, closed-door meetings. Aired him out. When he was asked about it after the game on Friday, he basically said, that's between me and my team. And it's a newsflash to Aaron Boone. Maybe if you're going to go and destroy your team, do it on a day where Tyler Glassdown is not pitching the following afternoon. Uh, maybe that's a little friendly piece of advice. Just saying. Just saying. And what I am just baffled over is how this core of players, which Yankee fans believed in 2017 was going to be special, that they were going to win and win big. And you actually had people trying to compare this group of players to what the Yankees had going in the 1990s. Let that sink in. When the Yankees won the World Series four out of five years, people were trying to make those comparisons. I heard it. 
Many others heard it. Anybody think this is the 90s reincarnated? Please. Enough. You can stop with that narrative. You can throw that right out the window. And this team has regressed under Aaron Boone. And I don't know what the change is, quite frankly, to jumpstart this team. They're not firing a manager. Would I be happy if they brought in Buck Showalter? Absolutely. Do I think they're bringing in Buck Showalter and making a managerial change? No, I don't. Especially with the arrogance of this organization. You think they're going to cut bait three weeks into the year? No chance. I don't know if it's changing the lineup. I don't know what it is. In 2005, remember, the Yankees started 11-19. and 19. They called up Robbie Cano and they put him at second base. They called up Chin Ming Wong and put him in the rotation. They basically benched Bernie Williams and put Tony Womack. Yeah, that's right. Tony Womack in center field. Even though that didn't really last and ended up being Bernie and Bubba Crosby anyway. But you get my point. That 11 and 19 team ended up winning 95 games and won a division title. This team is not nearly in the same dire straits yet. But I wonder what that particular tweak or change could be to get them going. And no, it's not the retirement of Jay Bruce. And I, I don't believe it's just the return of Luke Voigt. I don't think it's as simple as that. But it's tough to make those sort of moves and make those sort of changes this early in the year. But what I saw over the weekend was nothing short of an embarrassment and a disgrace. And that's what the Yankees have been for two and a half weeks. And newsflash, they weren't very good last year. That's the dirty little secret. You know, a lot of people making the argument, the Yankees last year, oh, it's a COVID year. It's only 60 games. Uh, I'm not going to take it too seriously. Well, maybe you should have because they were a 500 team last year, barely made the playoffs. They only made the playoffs because they had that Fugazi 18 playoff format. And right now they stink. That could change. Maybe it changes by Thursday. Maybe it changes by next week. Right now, they're a bad baseball team. And no, my confidence is not exactly particularly high in what they can do as this season progresses. Yeah, they're going to win some games. Yeah, I would hope. <laughs> going to find a way to get over the 500 mark. But this is supposed to be a championship or bust type of year. Does this in any way look like a championship team? Please. Watch the Dodgers play. Watch the Padres play. And then watch the Yankees play. And try to sit there and tell me, oh, championship team. Please. Give me a break. So we go from one end of the spectrum to the other. And I think we might be living, quite frankly, in the bizarro world. And the reason I think we're living in the bizarro world is because you have the Yankees in disarray. You have the Yankees embarrassing themselves. You have the Yankees stinking up the joint. And then the embarrassment of New York for the better part of 20 years is actually giving you a whole lot of reasons to feel good. They're enjoyable to watch. They're an absolute pleasure. And that is, of course, the New York Knickerbockers who keep on keeping on. And think about their wins over the last couple of weeks and what kind of triggered this winning streak. Because I think you got to put it into perspective. The Knicks went through a stretch in mid to late March where they lost a bunch of brutal, brutal games that came down to the wire. A couple against the Philadelphia 76ers, one against the Brooklyn Nets. They had a bad, bad loss that they yucked up against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I know at that point, I was kind of wondering, has the 
dust kind of run out on what Tom Thibodeau, Julius Randle, and the boys have been able to do all year. And I wondered that aloud. NCAA tournament came up. Knicks had a couple of soft games on the schedule. And now they've gotten back to playing an unbelievable brand of basketball. And here is the general takeaway and synopsis that I keep coming back to with this group as they fight back. They're down against the New Orleans Pelicans. They make some big plays down the stretch. I mean, I don't know what New Orleans was doing on the final possession of the game, not fouling up three. That is something I have been screaming about for years in the NBA and in college basketball. For the life of me, I don't understand how teams don't foul up three. I scream it to the high heavens, foul up three. Especially in the NBA with guys shooting the three ball the way that they can. Reggie Bullock nails one. And then in overtime, they're incredible. They're absolutely incredible. Whether it's Nerlens Noel blocking shots, whether it's Julius Randle doing his thing, surviving the fact that R.J. Barrett ends up fouling out. You have that game this afternoon here on Sunday. Friday night, they go and stick it to Dallas, and you take such great satisfaction in that because you go back a few years ago to the Porzingis trade. I hated the Porzingis trade when they made it at the time. I hated it because I thought they sold Porzingis, what, 55, 60 cents on the dollar. Thought they basically gave him away to the Dallas Mavericks. I never bought the narrative that they were going to go and get Durant and Irving and whatever in the free agent class of 2019. But if you look back on it now, it is not debatable. If you're the Knicks, you're dancing over the fact that you ended up making that move and that you ended up making that trade because it allowed you to go and get Julius Randle. It gave you an additional draft pick that led to some good things. I think indirectly, basically, it led to Emmanuel quickly. And who right now would rather have Porzingis on their team than Randall? I know I wouldn't. Randall has kind of been the symbol in many ways of what Tibbs and what the Knicks have been doing all year. They never quit. They're going to fight to the death. They've done that in losses this year. They've done it in a bunch of these wins. And now you're at the point where you're looking at the standings and you're thinking about can the Knicks get to that 4-5 spot? Because if they can, you're going to like their chances of winning a first-round series that much more. We know Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, even with the Durant injury scare, those are the three top dogs. The Knicks are only a half game behind Atlanta and Boston. And that race from four to basically eight, it's tight, man. It's super, super tight. See, I'm looking at the Knicks playing and matching up with Milwaukee. They could have some fun, maybe win a game or two. They're not winning that series. Boston, I know Boston is playing their best basketball of the year. I wouldn't expect the Knicks to go and win that series. Would I rather play the Celtics than any of those top three teams? 100%. 100%. Because they're not as deep, they're not as good as those three top teams. And the Knicks have had a lot of success matching up with Atlanta this year. I want in that 4-5 game because the 4-5 game gives you a legitimate chance to win a first-round series where you can dare to dream it. I'm not delusional to what I think this team is. I know what this team is. They're a pleasure. They work their asses off. They have taken on the personality of New York City. And my advice to Aaron Boone and the Yankees, take notes on what Tom Thibodeau and the New York Knickerbockers are doing because it's ticked off and it's sick to my stomach as I was about the Yanks. The Knicks kind of even that out. Bizarre world, folks. Knicks are killing it and the Yankees stink. 
What a world indeed. So before we hit Jacko, let's get the voicemail started. I know you guys are going to be coming in hot, hot heavy. Let's hear one. JJ, first time, long time. Been waiting to talk to you. Loved you in the old WFAN days. Let's not even get into the Yanks. Let's go right into my number one team, the New York Knickerbockers. It's back, 2013. We're feeling it. Fuck the Nets. Let's go. I'm loving this team. I'm loving Julius Randle. And let's just have fun, JJ. Ciao. How about that? A giddy Nick fan right out of the gate. And how can you not be? How can you not be? The team's well over 500. They're going to be in the playoffs. Tibbs is coach of the year. A buzz around the Knicks. Could you imagine if the Knicks are a top two or a top three seed? Oh, my goodness. Take this enthusiasm and times it by 100. So I got all those positive vibes, and then the Yankees bring me down. I'm still trying to make sense of this world. All right. We have a lot to get to. We have John Flaherty from Yes Network, former Yankees, going to join us in a little bit. But I had to welcome in our main man, Bill's main man, for many, many years to kind of help me out. We need a little therapy. Little Yankee therapy. The great Jacko will join us. We have listener voicemails. We'll get you ready for a big week. Starting to look into some futures odds as far as the NFL draft and the NBA and all that stuff. All that more. It's New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So I figured for New York, New York, we welcome in a longtime friend of my new boss and a guy who has a team in common with yours truly. And for years, I've enjoyed this gentleman being the voice of reason, being the foe to Bill with everything Yankees, Red Sox related. Unfortunately, though, Jacko, I have to bring you on because we need a little group therapy, bro. We got to let it out. We got to let it vent. I I wish I was talking to you on better terms, but how the hell are you? I'm good, thanks. You know, it's it's nice to meet you. I'm sorry we have to do it under these circumstances, which is what you usually say at a funeral or a wake, so it seems fitting. But it's nice to meet you. Um, where are you right now? Panic meter, one being the lowest, 10 being the highest. Well, I would be at the highest level, but really this weekend, I kind of went through all the stages of grief and I think I've, I've reached the acceptance level. So I mean, normally, you know, in the old days, I'd be tearing my hair out and I'd be screaming and ranting and throwing things. And, and, you know, not to say I didn't maybe do some of that, the privacy of my own home, but I mean, unfortunately, like we've gotten used to this, right? Like this since, since what, since the, since Girardi took them to game seven of the ALCS against a team that was actively cheating and knowingly cheating, they've been a major disappointment, right? And this is supposed to be like, we had this championship window of this young new core of guys and it's wasting away. So that's the heartbreaking part because, you know, 2018, they ran into a Red Sox juggernaut who were also cheating. 2019, you know, they, they do great in the regular season and they fall apart in the postseason. You know, last year with COVID, I guess you could chalk it up. It's a weird season. It's a short season. They make the playoffs. They're, uh, you know, they sort of took the season off, made the playoffs, and then they fall apart in the postseason again with the same thing of no clutch hitting whatsoever. So this year, 
like the person I'm angry is that really is myself because I, I believe that this was going to be different this year for some reason. Oh, you saw, so you suckered yourself in fully to this team. I did. I did because of the American League, to be honest with you, Jack. I looked at the American League and I said, all right, the White Sox are good, but they're kind of right. in the stage the Yankees were in. Tampa loses Morton and Snell. The Blue Jays aren't ready. The Astros right. lose Springer. I said at the beginning of the year, if they don't go to the World Series, it's time to blow it up. Little did I know they'd start <laughs> off the year five and ten. And Jacko, here's what drives me fucking nuts. It drives me insane. This organization is so damn arrogant. They act like they've won the they act like they've been in the World Series the last three years, that they've won it a handful of times. How dare you question us? How dare you go after the way we're trying to build the team? Right. Who are you guys to be telling me that when you haven't won in over a decade? Right. And I mean, last year when they shit the bed in the postseason and Cashman had a press conference and it was like he, he was so condescending to the press who were rightly pointing out all the ways that they have failed and repeatedly failed in the same way. And it was like, how dare you? Our system is divine. It's so it's working perfectly. Everything's great. The players walk around with this swagger. You know, Clint Frazier, I'm going to be an all star judge this year is different we're going to the world series i mean you know the, the glory years of, of the jeter years those guys never talked they weren't out there thumping their chest and they had a good reason to thump their chest and they didn't do it as much as this team that has never won a goddamn thing it's outrageous it's, it's crazy to think about <laughs> and you know what you think about tampa and the way they talk oh. down tampa I, who are you guys to spit on the rays when they basically embarrassed you last year they knock you out of the postseason and, and did you notice this, Jacko? I hear, and I love LeMayu. LeMayu's my favorite guy on the right. team, so I don't want to rag on him. He got re-signed. He said, we were better. Aaron Boone, we were better. Aaron right. Judge, we were better. Cole, we were better. You weren't better. They right. smoked you last year. It wasn't a fluke. And now, how about Judge? We'll let our play do the talking. Do the talking oh, right. they really, it really did the talking, all right. What, they have 11 hits in three games? Give me a break. Right, and they, they play it up like this is the great rivalry and they you know they have the beanball war going and everything else. It's, it's like the Yankees-Red Sox in the, in the 20th century. It's not a rivalry. It's not a rivalry when one team wins all the time and pushes the other team around. You can't call it a rivalry. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, they let their play do the talking and the play said they got swept and they, they managed three runs all weekend or whatever the hell it was. It was a fucking embarrassment. It's terrible. It's awful. They're going to eventually win some games because there are just so many bad teams in the American League. You know it and I know it. We're being as angry as we are right now. We're aware of the fact that they're going to win games. But I looked at this lineup and I saw it last year. Stink. And I know you brought up COVID. I'm not even doing that as an excuse because it stunk in the regular season. They were arrogant enough to think, all right, let's run it back. It's going to be okay. It's not going to be a problem. And it's the same crap all over again. Why am I supposed to believe, Jacko, that in a short series against quality pitching, this team's going to hit? Explain that to me. There's there's no reason to believe that. And and speaking of COVID, I had my second COVID shot today. So How you feeling, say, by the way? You a little, oh, well, a little out I, of it? I feel all right. No, but if I say anything stupid or anything that comes back to haunt me, I'm just going to claim that was a side effect. You have that as an excuse. I like that. <laughs> exactly. I wish I could Got say the same. Pocket. Right. No, but this you're right. I mean, this lineup, I mean, where's the historical where's the history that shows they're going to come through in a big, in a big situation, you know, in a, in a playoff series, who in this lineup can you count on beside outside of LeMahieu that's going to do anything? Judge never comes up big in, in big situations. Forget Aaron Hicks, forget Stanton. Labor Torres was sold as the greatest thing, the greatest prospect in the history of mankind. Oh, Cashman snookered the Cubs to give him Chapman and get Torres. Now we got Chapman back. Has Glaber lived up to the hype that they had with him? 
I don't think he has. He's certainly not living up to the hype this year. I saw a thing where LeMahieu struck out for the 14th time t- today this season. This season, he stuck, struck out today for the 14th time. He didn't strike out till the 14th time last season until I forget how many more at-bats it was, but it was a ridiculous more, a, a larger number of at-bats. So the stink is even now like going on to DJ LeMahieu, who seems stink-proof. So I, I don't know if it's everybody wants to kill coaches and get coaches fired, right? Marcus Thames, he's the hitting coach. Let's blame him. I don't know if it's an approach situation that they have, but there is something fundamentally wrong with this lineup where guys, you know, looking at their past had numbers and they just can't seem to do it anymore. I I, I don't know if it's old age, if it's approach, if it's just, they are chokers. I don't know what it is, but it's, I can't count on them. Okay. What's a bigger problem to you? Cashman or Boone? Cashman. I can't stand Boone. I think he's a clown. I don't think they respect him. I think he's like your lovable uncle or your your cousin. And, you know, you don't care if you By love way, Jack, him. Down, how about gonna... him reaming out the team? And I said right. in quotations, right. reaming out the team. And then you see the next day. Oh, yeah, that re- that really worked wonders against well, Tyler Glass the, now. Wonders. That's the classic thing in sports when you have a team meeting and then the next day you lose. What now? You do another meeting? You know, like it, they didn't listen to him. I was watching this the game on Saturday and Paul O'Neill said, you know, Joe Torrey, who was usually pretty even keeled, they, they were screwing around and they'd gone through a losing streak and he, he railed them out in the, in the clubhouse. And he said, the next day you felt like you let down your father, like you let down your father at dinner. So they wanted to go produce. Do you think anybody cares if they let down Aaron Boone, who's going to always have their back and pat him on the back and give him a candy bar? Come on. So I think Boone is terrible, but I mean, everybody knows that Boone is a puppet of the Cashman regime that Cashman and the analytics, analytics guys run the show. So, yeah, they should get rid of Boone. They should have got rid of him yesterday. But the next guy, if Cashman's still there, the next guy they bring in, he's going to be a puppet too. I mean, they're not bringing in the, the zombie Billy Martin, unfortunately. You know, I was thinking about who would I want to manage this team. If now oh, it's, it's like easy for me, board. Jacko. It's Buck. It comes yeah, well, home, full circle. That's my guy. If they could go and bring in a manager, because he wouldn't be a puppet. He is analytical. He's going right. to check that box. But he's going to run the show if he's managing the team. He's not listening to a front office telling him what to do. No, I agree. I agree. I would like that. And I mean, he, you know, he was responsible for their early turnaround. You know, they got rid of Steinberger, got pissed at him, and they got rid of him right before Tory came in. But he, he had built that team and got those guys playing by his philosophy. So, so I like Buck. He was a protege of Billy Martin. I like that. I, I like that a lot. But I, I just don't see Cashman hiring a guy who's not going to toe the line on analytics and let the let the analytics department run the team because effectively Cashman and his crew they, they manage the team. Everybody knows that. You know, Boone is a cheerleader and he's supposed to he's hired because of his great communication skills when he you know doesn't tell the truth about player injuries. But he you know he's just there to be their cheerleader and do whatever Cashman says. So if I had confidence that Cashman was like, this isn't working, we got to go in an old school baseball direction, then Boone should go. But I don't have confidence that Cashman's going to give up the reins that easily. Have you had the same problem that I've had over the last few years, screaming over the fact that they have absolutely no left-handed hitters in the lineup? And they try to make this argument, Jacko, that over 162 games, the righties shoot the ball to right center field, that's fine. That's all good. But when you face elite-level pitching, Morton, for example, or Avaldi when he was throwing 101 mile an hour, and and you got seven or eight righties in there, you're you're telling me that's uh, that's a good look and that's a winning lineup? That is such nonsense. It's ridiculous. And and especially because Yankee Stadium has historically been kind to lefties and it's designed for lefties. You got to have left-handed bats at Yankee Stadium. You got to have left-handed bats at Fenway Park, who they're going to play 19 times a season. 
you, you got to have more lefties in there. And, and so, you know, that's another reason why Cashman is more to blame. He put this team together, right? Every year they've never, they haven't developed the starting pitcher probably since Pettit, right? They have ne- they never well, have any Well, and Sevy was the guy, Jacko. You think well, about Sevy, it. He actually true. was that's a true. legit starting pitcher. And then basically his body and his health has fallen apart the last two years. And hopefully it'll help him this year. You would hope. Right. Let's hope. But yeah, and he comes back and maybe he's a little shot in the arm. But, you know, they, they never develop any, any, you know, judge judge was never a highly rated prospect. He fell from heaven for them somehow and had his, had his big year in 2017, but they, you know, they, they you have Jay Bruce as an answer for a team with a $200 million payroll when poor Luke Boyd goes down and your immediate response is we're going to plug Jay Bruce in there. Who's not a first baseman as he clearly showed before he mercifully retired today. So I don't understand how you can put a team together, as you say, that's overly right-handed, that we the, the pitching is always built on a wish and a hope and held together with duct tape, that this is going to work out beyond Cole, obviously, who's all world. But beyond that, I don't understand how you could put this team together and do the same, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and hoping for a different result. They do, they've done the same thing since 2018 with this team. The team's essentially the same. It's pop, it's a home run or nothing. They rely on that, which never comes through in the postseason. They can't put a ball in play when they need to. They can't get a clutch hit. They fall apart when there's a guy on base and they need a hit, God forbid. So it's like, you know, as I said, I'm angriest at myself because I bought into this shit. Like, maybe this year will be different. And it's, you know, I'm the idiot. Like, I, I was like, I was the definition of insanity because I thought the same thing, doing the same thing would have resulted differently this year just because everybody else sucked. Stupid me. It's it's oh, it's so disheartening. It's ridiculous. Well, join the club because, listen, I bought into the starting pitching, even though I hated the Kluber move because I'm such oh, a yeah. big Tanaka guy. Tanaka, and I know he wasn't great against the Rays last year. That guy's all hard. He knew how to pitch in big games. The biggest yeah. compliment I give him, Jacko, he would have fit on those 90s Yankees teams. There aren't yeah. many guys I could say that about. Tanaka was one of those guys. He should still be a Yankee. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm not. I, yes, he had some great postseason performances. I think the past year or so, I think he was kind of shot. Gave up too many home runs for my taste. But yes, he he would be a breath of fresh air instead of Corey Kluber, uh, clearly, uh, or or uh, you know the the other guys that run out there that you're. It's like a hope and a prayer. I mean, Montgomery has flashes of looking good. Um, you know, maybe better days for Tyone, who's who's coming off an injury. But you know, the, just the notion that a team with a $200 million payroll and you're relying on two guys that pitched what five innings in the past two years, that they're going to be like, you're basically like your two and three starters. I mean, that's not ideal. You know, that's not ideal. If you're the Rays and you have $14 as a budget, if you're the New York fucking Yankees, you know, with the limitless budget, you you can't, there can't be question marks like that. There just can't. And, and Cashman's the guy that does this to us year in and year out. You know, he, He's had one World Series in 2009. They won the World Series in 2009 because they went out and they got they got CC, they got Burnett, they got you know they had Teixeira, they had Arod, they they had a lot of guys that were big money guys. Those were not guys that obviously they developed through the farm system. When Cashman's tried to use his process to you know something's not working at a certain point, you got to look in the mirror and say, guys, what we're doing here isn't working. You know the analytics crews reboot the computers, something it's not working. Yeah, I don't know. Reformat him, do whatever. Stanton, <laughs> right. Stanton, Stanton. And I know he hit last year in the playoffs, so I got to give him credit for that. The idea of having a guy under contract for the next six or seven years who cannot play the outfield, who is so flawed. I mean, listen, I know Harper has his issues as a player, Jacko, right. but he's got like that lefty, sweet, tailor-made right. swing. What Yankee fan on the, in, in the right mind would actually make the argument they'd rather have uh, Stanton on this team than Harper? That's one they'd like back. 
Oh, no question about it. And I'm an idiot too, because when Stanton was made available for essentially nothing, um, you know, you have to make that trade. I'm like, Oh my God, the notion of Stanton and judge together, who do you pitch to? It's going to be this murderer's row. And it just obviously has not come anywhere. They close never play to together. To they either never, they never play, play or they don't hit. Basically. They're both, they're both too injury prone. They, you know, he can't play the outfield. So he clogs up the DH spot and there's nowhere else you can put him. And now you coupled that with Aaron Hicks, which I will never, ever understand giving him seven years and $70 million. Well, how about batting him in a three spot for that? Matter? I know nobody's saying spot. you hit him in a three spot. He's got a lower OPS, Jacko, than the guy just retired. Let that sink in for a minute. I know. Lower OPS. It's, it's, a, it's unbelievable. And, you know, he his whole thing is he walks, but he never gets hit. He never does anything. Why you would have him in the three-hole, I, I will never understand. But then when he's not in the three-hole, their computers say to put Brett Gardner there, who's 150. So, again, this is a team with a $200 million payroll, and they don't have a number three hitter. I mean, it, you, you can't make it up or – or, or if they do, they don't put them in the right spot. They don't They do not do even like basic lineup construction that a 12-year-old can figure out where to bat these guys. But the computers say something different so that we, you know, we bow down to the computer's thoughts. Outrageous. Um, any concern about our buddies, Boston Red Sox? I'm not concerned. I think their pitching stinks. I think Cora has definitely given them a shot in the arm. And I, I saw you taking some shots at Cora on Twitter. I'm proud of you for that. But listen, Thank he's you. a good manager, though, Jacko. Listen, no, he may he be is. a jerk. You may not like him. He's a good manager. I mean, he's, you know, that that's what they fell in love with, I think, the Yankees, when they went with Boone, because they're like, well, this is the new way. And you get a guy who was a player, and he's young, and he can relate to the young guys. And Cora does that. You know, Cora also is, is a master of, of the nefarious arts. And, the, you know, I'm not going to put it past him that he's using those again this year with the Red Sox. But for whatever reason, he gets the job done. I mean, that he took over that 2018 team, and they were a juggernaut. They ran him out of town because of his crimes and they fell apart. And now he's back. I mean, you can't argue with the results that he's able to get, you know, he, he's a cheerleader, but they seem to like his cheerleading better than Boone's, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think in the long run, I don't think they have the pitching, but in the long run, I thought the Yankees were going to be good. So what the fuck do I know? You know, <laughs> I've always wondered this and I don't know if Bill's ever talked about it. 2004, obviously a memory that we want to like block out for forever. Um, mm. did you have to avoid him for a week, a month, a year? Like that, that must've been absolute brutality. Yeah. He wasn't too bad. Cause he was so high on the victory. He was he just too giddy. Okay. He was, okay. he was. Cause, and you know, in 2003, when the aforementioned Aaron Boone hit his one legendary home run, I, I was pretty decent to him. Like I didn't rub his nose in it and I didn't go too crazy because I just knew it was like, it was too sensitive. It was too, too raw. I, you know, I had gone to the game. I had gone to the game that series where uh, where Zimmer got thrown down by Pedro, and that was literally the ugliest crowd I've ever seen in my life. It was like the Roman Coliseum; like they were out for blood, like the eighty something years of misery. They, it was so ugly. So after Boone hit the home run, I'm like, I can't possibly like rub his nose in this because this is like this will be the end. He will never speak to me again. Um, and so he, in 2004, you know, I called him and I congratulated him, and as hard, hard as that was for me to do, but. He, he was, he was actually okay. He didn't rub my nose in it too badly. And then, you know, I had the electroshock therapy and I kind of forgot everything that happened after that. So it was, it's all good. So. And now that you bring up 2003, that to me is one of the more underrated Yankee misery moments of the last 20 plus years. Cause how in God's name, Jacko, do you have that Aaron Boone home run and then lose to the pathetic Florida Marlins in six games? And I'll never forget because Tori, who I love, Decided mm. to keep Mariano Rivera in the bullpen. <clears throat> then David Wells throws out his back. 
and then they couldn't touch Josh Beckett in game six. I mean, losing that one, not that 04 would have been, you know, salvaged in any way, but at least if you're going to have the Aaron Boone moment, win the damn World Series, you know? Right. No, I'll, I'll tell you, there was two that broke my heart. That was a bad one, but the worst one for me was 2001 because I was actually at game five when Brocious hit the home run uh, uh, to tie it up. And then Soriano won it in the extra innings. And that was the most joyous Yankee Stadium experience of my life. Strangers were, we were hugging each other, singing New York, New York at the top of our lungs. And I'm like, there is no way they're not going to go to Arizona and close this World Series out in game six. And I still can't believe that they did not win that World Series. So obviously 2004 is the most painful. I happen to be at game seven in 2004 too. So I, I go to all the good ones that then break my heart. Um, I must be the kiss of death, but uh, 2001 hurt. But yeah, 2003, when you win an ALCS like that, I'm like, there's no way they're not going to win a championship, but there was. So here we are. Um, is there a moment for you looking back on it now where you acknowledged, I know for me, I was at game six, the stupid body sock game. And when A-Rod had that slap play overturned and I think Tony Clark struck out in the bottom of the ninth inning, I remember leaving Yankee Stadium that night with my dad, Jack, on. And I said, they're not winning tomorrow. I don't care if it's 86 plus years of history. They're dead. They have no pitching. They're not winning. Was that the moment for you? Was it game five? When did you like acknowledge that 04 was actually going to be, you know, a reality? Yeah, the game six, when Tony Clark struck out, I broke a baseball bat over my coffee table. And I wasn't married at the time because <laughs> otherwise I, I wouldn't be married. Uh, so I was, I was sitting there watching that game and I was like, this is it. I'm like, I'm not even going to watch game seven. I'm not going to watch it because I'm so disgusted. And I'm good friends with a guy that played minor league baseball with Bronson Arroyo. And he called me at work on, on uh, whatever day of the week that was. And he said, Hey, I got tickets for tonight from Bronson for game seven. Do you want to go? And I'm like, I wasn't even going to watch it, but just on the off chance that I could see history, you know, the good history, like in one more crushing Red Sox defeat, let's go. And obviously that did not work out. And I got the joy of watching it from like the Red Sox wives and girlfriends and family section. Well, so didn't it seem like fun. Jacko that game by the time the seventh and the eighth inning rolled around, like all of Boston was at Yankee stadium. Yeah, That's the way it absolutely. felt on TV. It's the way it was in real life. Cause I mean, more so for me, cause I was in the Red Sox section, but it was like, you know, I'm like, yeah, this, it was like being in Boston. It was far too joyous. It was, it was a long, it was a long ride home. And we had actually driven down we got down to the game late from Connecticut. So we missed like the first inning and I tried to park my car. All the parking lots were full. I parked in some lot like along the East river. And I gave some guy 20 bucks who no more owned that lot than I did. And my buddy and I were sitting there in the game and he goes, you realize your car is gone, don't you? I'm like, oh, there's no question about it. And then he was like, what do you want more of the Yankees to win? Or do you want your car back? And I was like, well, I've seen the Yankees win. So that that's on me right there too. So uh, I blame myself I'm putting the blame that, on but... you now for that. Forget, <laughs> forget about wow. uh, A-Rod and the, you know, Tom Gordon and all the guys. I'm putting Jack on now right at the top of the list. Yeah, at the top of the list. That was my fault. That's on me. I'll wear that one, guys. Um, so we've been taking voicemails on this show, Jacko, which is great because oh. it kind of, mm -hmm. it allows me to have the element that I had at my old gig. I get to hear from folks. So if you're ever like right. really pissed off and you want to let loose, you're more than welcome to do so. But, right. I was but I was told though, there is a voicemail for the two of us. So I'm kind of oh, curious good. to see what this might be. Let's see. Oh, good. Who could it possibly be? Hey, JJ, it's Bill from LA. I know you have Jacko on the show tonight. Just wanted, when you have him on, just throw it at him. I'm having a Aaron Judge pulled oblique muscle pool in uh in the ringer office 
And uh, just want to see if you guys are interested. Everybody's going to pick a date over the next 28 days. And uh, it's really first come, first serve. I started the pool, so I have April 27th for when he pulls his oblique. But uh, if you guys want in, let me know. 25 bucks. Uh, just send me a date, and we'll be ready to go. All right. Have a great day. Uh, thanks. Thanks, wow. Bill in L.A. Bill in L.A. is now becoming a regular of the show. And I, I think, to be honest, Jacko, I think he deep down wanted some Yankee misery right out of the game. That's why he decided to launch a New York pod, That's quite right. frankly. That's right. Yeah, so you're to blame for this season. You can blame yeah, me for I'm gonna, 2004. I'm gonna take the you're going to take, take the L, L for game right. seven. I'm going to take the L for five and ten right now. Absolutely. Exactly. Right. Uh, what date are we getting in on? I'm picking my birthday, by the way, May 15th. <laughs> that I, I want it on May 15th. Because you know what? And my birthday will be a great day, and it'll kind of even it out. So I'm going to say there a month from now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's probably a good pick. Um, I think it's going to be earlier because I think when the weather warms up, it loosens up a little bit. So, you know, Simmons, April 27th pick isn't bad. They go to, I think they play in Cleveland. It's always chilly on the lake there. I'm going to go this week. Just to add on to the misery. Yeah, I might as well. I'll go April 22nd because I think they think they play in Cleveland then chilly. I'll go April 22nd. Yeah. Because the way things have gone, why wouldn't it get worse? Right. When it rains, it pours. Listen, thanks for checking in. (laughs) You're welcome anytime. If you need to vent, you need, we need, listen, for all these years, you had to deal with Bill and his Red Sox nonsense. Now we can kind of have a common interest, which is trying to take him down. We need to do that. You know, this is good. This is like being home. I'm welcomed in with my pain instead of like my pain being reinforced. This is good. I like it. All the best. Jacko. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate (laughs) it. Thanks a lot. Take care. Good luck. Let's welcome in a guy who's had a big week. He had a hole-in-one a couple of days ago. He's doing all this great stuff for Yes. He's one of my all-time favorites, the great John Flaherty. What's up, Flash? JJ, everything's good, man. It's good to catch up with you. It's been a while. Flash, we're going to need you here, bro. I need somebody to come in and shed some light on being the voice of reason because right now it's panic (laughs) time for me. It's panic time for a whole lot of Yankee fans. And look, I get the idea of a bad start. We've seen that before with not only the Yankees, but plenty of teams. Flash, the biggest problem I keep running into is that this team looks worse than their record. They're not hitting, the pitching's not good outside of Cole, and the defense is awful. Am I am I overreacting to that 15 games in? I don't think so. No, you're not. It's tough to watch right now, JJ. And, you know, the one thing that, uh, that you keep hearing from these players is that it's early and we're talented and we know we're going to be good. And I agree with all of that. Uh, but you have to start seeing some of it, and we haven't seen any of it this year. Uh, you know, three hits today in, in that game and it being swept by the Rays. And, you know, I was in the studio talking about all the bad blood between these teams. And, you know, the first game of the series, I said, you can't even worry about that anymore. You got to take care of your clubhouse and get right. And uh, it's tough to watch. They're not, they're not hitting. Uh, the rotation has a lot of question marks. Uh, you know, a couple of guys who haven't pitched in two years, they look like it. Uh, early on, the only bright spots you mentioned, Garrett Cole and the bullpen. The bullpen's been good. So uh, it, it can only get better, right? I would hope. And listen, you went through those years playing the Boston Red Sox. That was the peak of the Yankee-Red Sox rivalry. It seemed like both of those teams, you know, when you would play those games, you'd be so so uber-focused. You'd be so dialed in. And it almost brought out the best in both of you. That's not happening with these Yankee no. Rays series. And, you know, the amazing thing is, Flash, I heard all winter the Yankees were a better team. I heard it from Aaron Judge. I heard it from DJ LeMayu. I heard it from Aaron Boone. 
Well, Tampa was the better team last year, and so far they've whooped you one in five. L- let's put that narrative aside until you win a couple of games against those dudes. Yeah, all spring training and all winter, we heard the American League East, we have to retake the American League East, and it seemed like a priority, which it is every year, JJ. But uh, to be honest with you, I don't think the Tampa Bay Rays are a very good team. I mean, they're, they they play small ball, they catch the ball, they put, you know, have good at bats, but you know, their pitching hasn't been great. Their bullpen hasn't been great. And with all of that being said, you mentioned that they've dominated the Yankees. And there are not too many teams that I can remember who come into Yankee Stadium and they have a confidence that they're going to go out there and win a series. And Tampa Bay is one of those teams now. So um, if you're a Yankee player, you have an off day tomorrow. You have a lot of time to think. Um, and it can only get better. But you mentioned rivalries, Red Sox, Yankees back in my day when I was playing. We didn't worry about how we were playing as a group because we knew we would be right where we needed to be against the Red Sox. It was just about competing. Uh, It was about personalities. We didn't like them. They didn't like us. Uh, But when you watch these last three games against Tampa Bay, I mean, that there was no fight in the New York Yankees, and that was the disappointing part. Take me through 2005. You were part of a team that started off the year 11 and 19. And I remember, Flash, a lot of people thought, oh, here we go. 1965 all over again. The bottom is going to fall out from the New York Yankees. And you guys turned it around, had an incredible second half, and ended up winning the division. Was there one particular moment where Joe Torre basically pulled you guys aside and read you the riot act? Was it maybe somebody within that Yankee clubhouse? What was going through that team when you guys started off 11 and 19? Uh, there was a lot of looking around the clubhouse thinking, are we really this bad? There's no way we're this bad. And I mentioned this, this team and the way they talk about themselves. Uh, I looked around, we looked around and said, okay, we have a talented team and we know it's going to get better. Uh, but Joe Torrey had a team meeting and, you know, the, the godfather, the way he would have these meetings, he was brilliant. And he basically said something to the effect, you know, I've been defending you guys to the media. I've been telling them how much I believe in you. And he said, I'm done talking. Now you have to show me. And he walked out the room with that little gate that he had. And as a player, you just sat there like, okay, that, that, that was our, that was our moment that, you know, you're, you're letting your manager down. He's defending you. And now he's done doing that. You have to go out there and show him that you're a good team. And we reacted, you know, there was a couple of team meetings in the three years I was there that Joe Torrey had. I remember the one in 03 after we were no hit by the Astros in the bullpen game. Um, and he, he let us have it after that game. And it wasn't about being no hit. It was about the effort or the lack of effort. Uh, and it was the same type of situation. You better be ready to show up tomorrow. Aaron Boone tried to do that after Friday's game, and uh, he didn't get any reaction from his club. So uh, when Joe Torrey would have a team meeting, it meant something. It got your attention. Aaron Boone tried to do that, and it didn't work out this weekend. Were you surprised, Flash, knowing that Tyler Glass now is on the mound Saturday? That's the time for a team meeting? Or is it the team play like garbage Friday? It needs to be addressed. Yeah, I, I, it needed to be addressed, but I mentioned it on the postgame show. Uh, you should have done this tomorrow if you had a bunker <laughs> because you had Garrett Cole coming out there. So, you know, well, it was a challenge to go out there against Glass now. And the Yankees battled him early, uh, and then he found his rhythm. But, you know, Aaron Boone is not a guy who's going to yell and scream very often. Um, so that got the attention of some of his players and they talked about it after the game, but they, uh, they didn't get the job done the next day. So, and then with Cole today, it was just assumed, okay, we have our number one guy out there, but when you're not swinging the bats and it's, it's one through nine, I mean, DJ starting to pick it up a little bit now judge has been okay. Um, 
it's it's a lot of pressure offensively. You put your pitching staff in a bad spot. A lot of folks have asked me over the last couple of months about the personal catcher dynamic with Garrett Cole and Higgy. And I look at your run with Randy Johnston in 2005 flash, and that to me is one of the main reasons why I like the idea. Cole's comfortable. He's known Higgy forever. Ain't broke. Don't fix it. What was that like for you? 2005, the Yankees are turning around. Randy Johnson is this larger-than-life pitcher. He owned the Yankees, Mariners, Astros, Diamondbacks, and now you're catching him. And you're in a room with Jorge Posada, who is, you know, a retired number, Yankee catcher for a decade. Was that awkward? Was it, I got to do my job? Did that become a thing over? How did that kind of take place, the idea of you and Randy working together and then having so much success? All right, well, I'm going to take you back to 2003, JJ. And when I made the team, the Yankee team, as Jorge's backup catcher, I, the first thing I said to him was, I don't want your job. I, I know how good you are, and I know how good we are when you're in the lineup. I, I want to give you one day off. I want it to be a complete day off so you can mentally just get away from the game and hopefully we win the game the day that I'm playing. So I, I knew my role. We had such a great relationship because he knew I didn't want his job. I wanted him to have the best years of his career while I was backing him up. So now fast forward to 2005, and Joe Torre asked me to be the personal catcher for Randy. And the first thing I did, I went to Jorge Posada and said, this can't affect me and you because we're, we're too solid. And, and, you know, Jorge's such a pro. He said, John, I don't care who catches this guy. We have to get him right in order to win a championship. So we got rid of any tension right there. And it became one of those situations where I, I kind of agree with you. Uh, Jorge enjoyed it in the fact that he told me, I know what, when I'm going to play. I know when my day off is coming. So I can lift more weights the night before I know I'm not going to play. He planned this whole week around knowing this is the day I'm not going to play. He'd play four in a row. He'd sit the fifth one. So he enjoyed it to keep himself going mentally and physically. It gave him that day off. Um, I enjoyed it because we had success on the field with Randy. Uh, I didn't enjoy it the four days in between. He was a tough guy to get along with. But at the end of the day, you know, Joe Torre asked me, you know, why I was still playing. And the reason was to try to win a World Series. And he said, we're not going to win a World Series unless we get this guy right. So you have to do whatever you can do on that fifth day to, to get him to throw the ball well. It worked during the regular season. It didn't work so great in his uh, postseason start. You got to take a lot of satisfaction in that, though, as a catcher, right? A guy's struggling. You're working with him every fifth day, and then all of a sudden he finds it. That's got to be kind of cool. You know what's cool, JJ, is that I, I had four days in between his starts to bear down on opposing lineups and everything that they could do or couldn't do against left-handed pitching. So I felt so prepared from a scouting standpoint. And then the other side of it is I would catch every pitch that Randy would throw, whether it was a side session, uh, warming up for a game, the game itself. So he, he had a, such a mechanical flaw when I first started catching him that with his front side, he would just drop his arm and he would have no direction towards home plate. Um, and we just got him to kind of use his glove side a little bit and get more direction toward home plate. All of a sudden, he's getting fastball in on righties. His slider was better. And uh, for me, it was just concentrate on him and concentrate on opposing pitchers against left-handed pitching. And I felt I was probably the most prepared uh, scouting-wise to call a game that second half of 05. 
would you suggest the Yankees keep on keeping on with the Cole-Higgy partnership, or would you get Gary Sanchez and Garrett Cole back working with one another? You know what? I, I Listen, this particular situation with Randy, myself, and Jorge worked. There was no tension. Uh, Jorge was, was happy to say, you got him. Let's, let's get him back on track. So to answer your question, um, if, if Higgy and Gary Sanchez are on the same page and there's no problems there, I think it could be beneficial for both of them. Garrett obviously likes throwing to Higgy. And to be honest, JJ, when Garrett Cole is right, it, it, you you could be back there. I don't know him. about that. Debatable, I think you could. but maybe. I think maybe. you could. I think you could. Um, so it's those days maybe when he doesn't have his greatest stuff, you know, not today, but a couple of days ago, his last start, it took him a little while to lock it in. And Higgy being back there maybe helped him there. But to answer your question, I know managers don't like to get locked in on stuff like this. But if it's a good relationship between the starting catcher and the backup and it's working for your, your star pitcher, uh, I'm kind of one of those guys that I'm not against it. I, I'd like to see it continue. Uh, this is a loaded question. And obviously, if you had the answer, I mean, you'd be a zillionaire. I'd be a zillionaire. I think everybody <laughs> out there would be a zillionaire. Is there one thing you'd look at, John, specifically with this team to try to jumpstart them? If it's, I don't know, tweaking the lineup a little bit, maybe changing the rotation up. Maybe it's the idea of making a move uh, with an individual player. Just saw that Jay Bruce retired on Sunday. But if there's one thing that maybe you'd look to do, if you were, you know, running the New York Yankees, what would that be to try to get them going? Yeah, I would try to shake up the lineup a little bit, maybe move some guys around, see if you can get something that's going to click somehow. Uh, you know, the rotation, JJ, it is what it is, right? Brian Cashman took a couple of flyers on, uh, two pitchers who haven't pitched in a few years and Tyone and, and Kluber. And that at the end of the year might work out, but it's been a little shaky early on. Uh, but I don't think you can make any changes there. You kind of have major commitment to these two players, these two pitchers, and you got to hope that they're going to get better once they start getting some innings and maybe getting some of the rust off and, and hopefully the stuff gets a little bit better, but offensively um, they're just a team right now that I think they're, they're trying to be the hero. Everybody's trying to be the man. And I've been on clubs where, you know, four or five guys are swinging the bat. The other three or four don't feel the pressure as much because the other guys are carrying it for a while. Right now, you got, you know, you one through nine. Uh, you have your individual situations where Glaber's getting pitches to hit. He's fouling them off. Stanton is off balance. He looks bad on sliders. When he gets some mistakes, he can do some damage. Judge has been okay. LeMayu is coming around. I think when DJ gets going, uh, he really sets the tone personality-wise. Clint Frazier uh, is pressing a little bit. You know, he's got this first opportunity to be an everyday player. Uh, we all went through it. You got you to gotta be able to go out there and produce early so you don't have to answer the questions about why you're not playing every day now. So offensively, Aaron Boone can do some things, but you also don't want to send a message that, I'm panicking as the manager. We're making big changes, subtle changes, maybe get some guys going and uh, see if it'll all turn around. Flesh, you think it hurts this team that they're so right-handed? I've been screaming for a lefty bat for a long time. And listen, guys like Uvoid, I understand he's a terrific player. You're not going to sell him 50 cents on the dollar. Well, may you, listen, they had to bring him back. He's been the MVP over the last two years. But when I've seen this team struggle in the postseason, that tough righty, it, it just mows down the Yankee lineup. I think they could use a lefty batter too. Absolutely. And Rugnet Odor was brought here because he's left-handed. You know, I, that, you're trying to get a flyer for a left-handed bat to balance out that lineup a little bit. He, he hasn't been great early on in his Yankee career. But, you know, JJ, I always go back 
to my mindset when I was behind the plate and I'm trying to navigate a lineup. And boy, it was tough when you had those lefties, righty, righty, lefty. And, you know, you're figuring out, I got a right-handed pitcher out there. How am I going to be able to get the lefties out? Because I feel pretty good about the right-handers with the slider, the breaking ball. But how am I going to get the lefties out? Because my guy doesn't have a split or he doesn't have a great changeup that he likes to throw. Um, all the time as a player, we'd be talking in the dugout about, all right, lefties, let's get this righty out of there. You know, you, you can't do that now if you're the Yankees. I mean, if you have a tough righty, like a glass now pitched in yesterday's game, you, what do you have, Brett Gardner in there, you have Aaron Hicks in there, and you have Odor, and you're saying, I hope one of the lefties has a big swing. Uh, it's a lot to ask. I agree with you. I thought they could have maybe made a move to bring a left-handed bat uh, with a little bit of pop and play to the Yankee Stadium short porch, but it didn't happen, so you roll with what you have. You had a long big league career, and now you've been doing this, Flash, a long time, man. I mean, it's crazy, crazy. thinking about crazy. the fact I remember watching you play. I remember the walk-off hit against Curtis Lestanic, the Jeter game. <laughs> Although we like to call it the Flaherty game, right? Like in the Flaherty household, it's not the Jeter dive in the stands game. It's the walk-off hit game, correct? Yeah, I didn't even know it was Derek playing that game. Uh, yeah, I guess he was, What happened right? to him? Yeah. Nothing yeah, happened whatever. there. <laughs> not, none to discuss. But in all seriousness, you've done this now for a long time. There's a generation of folks who are listening to this you're John Flaherty, who's a part of their routine of watching Yankee baseball, whether it's doing a game pre-post. That's got to be kind of cool, no? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, JJ, because, uh, you know, you talked about my playing career my last three years as a backup to Jorge Posada. And, you know, that was a great three years as a Yankee player. But when you retire and you get into this side of the business and whether you're doing the pregame show or you're doing the game, I never realized how... Yankee baseball was part of everybody's routine day in and day out. Uh, people come up to me and say, I hear you in my living room every night. I hear your voice. I'll recognize that voice right away. And it just becomes routines for people. And I, I never realized that you don't realize it as a player, because as a player, you're so locked in on what do I have to do today to get better to help this team win? When you get away from it a little bit, you see how those games and the routine of it really help people in their daily life and a little distraction from maybe a tough day at work. So uh, this is my 16th year doing this, JJ. I played 14 in the big leagues and now I've been uh, broadcasting longer than I was as a player. So it's, uh, it's something I really enjoy. I love being close to the game. I love talking about the game. And if I can give the fan maybe just a, a little different way to think about it, then I feel like I'm doing my job. And I'm sure, Flesh, a lot more fun catching the great Mariano Rivera as opposed to trying to hit Mariano Rivera. Fair? Very fair. And, uh, you know, the one thing about Mo as a, as a hitter is, you know, I love the fastball. I never got off the fastball. I never looked for a breaking ball. And, J.J., when you would stand on deck and you would be timing Mariano, you, you know, the fastball looked like it was 87, 88 miles an hour, and his delivery was so easy. And I walked up there the first time saying, this is built right in for me. I'm going to do some damage. And I can't even explain to you how with his motion and how smooth it was, he lulled you to sleep. And you, you were so comfortable as a hitter, and the ball just exploded on top of you. And um, he, he was special. He was really easy to catch. Uh, he was obviously not very fun to hit against, but probably the most team oriented relief pitcher I had ever been around. Um, he was into the whole game. He was into the, the first five innings watching from the clubhouse. I would take the golf cart 
down to the, the bullpen at the old Yankee stadium in the bottom of the fifth. So 81 times a year, I got to ride in a golf cart underneath the, the old Yankee stadium out to the bullpen, watching everybody react to the great Mariano Rivera going out to the bullpen. So, uh, what a wonderful ride it was for, for three years. And, you know, that old stadium flash brings back so many memories. And you think wow. about those two series against the Red Sox. I mean, not just in the postseason flash. <clears throat> I'm watching the Dodgers and the Padres now. And that sort of intensity, that's what you had with you guys. It didn't matter if it were April, July, August, September. You guys could feel that when you were matching up in those games, right? Uh, you're, you're giving me goosebumps now just thinking about it, JJ. It's what It's what you played for. And, you know, for me... It was at the back end of my career. I knew I was coming to an end. I just wanted to try to get to a World Series and win it. Uh, but I mentioned there are personalities, you know, Kevin Millar with the cowboy up and Kurt Schilling uh, with his personality. We we hated those guys and they hated us back. And to your point, you felt it from the first moment that I would go out to the bullpen to warm up a starting pitcher. And I'd be standing either in the outfield at Fenway or at Yankee Stadium. And you felt it. I mean, it was a half hour before the game. The fans are jacked up. And um, that's that's why you play big league baseball, not only to have two great teams going at it, but to, to have guys like Derek Jeter throw themselves into the stands, have no regard for their body, uh, because we would have done anything to try to win those games. Yankees obviously going to play better. You know it, I know it. They can't continue to be this bad. But when is the point flash? I mean, I'm sounding the alarm, but when is it like, officially panic time is it memorial day do you look at is it the middle of may like is there a point you look at with a certain baseball team where you're like they just don't have it when is that usually for you uh the middle of the middle of may is going to be a little bit too late for me i think by the beginning of may you have to see things changing um not not one game jj it's not like if they go out there on Tuesday and they play a good game against the Braves, everything's fine. It doesn't work that way. Um, there is now a sense of urgency in that clubhouse that the players are feeling. And, and I'm sure there's conversations going on, but there's more a feeling of looking around the room, knowing that we got to pick this up. And if you do it for one game, you got to go out and do it again. So they're, they're now on edge. Um, and they have to start showing everybody, not only each other, but their, the fan base and the organization. Final one. And I was so fired up for you when I saw this on Twitter a couple of days ago. <laughs> Talk me through, bro, the first hole-in-one, because I can't imagine it. I played golf earlier this morning, and I, I think if I have a hole-in-one, that's it. I'm flipping the club. I'm walking off the course. <laughs> I'm never playing again. Did you know, Flash, immediately? That it had gone in the hole. No, no. But um, we talk about golf a lot. And, you know, it's a passion of both of ours. So uh, I played Atlantic City Country Club with uh, seven of my buddies from Rockland Country Club. We had a little trip and uh, I, I was hitting the ball really well. So I came up to 17 and it's 147 yards into the wind and it's uphill. And you could see the flag, but you couldn't see the hole. So I'm playing with the head pro at Rockland Country Club in my group, uh, Bobby Everett. And right when I hit the ball, uh, it felt good. And right away, he said, that's in. I mean, it looked that good right off of the club. And when we saw the ball go up to the green, we didn't see it bounce. Uh, I didn't see anything. So he said to me, he said, that's either in the hole or it's going to be a little bit deep. So anyway, as we drive up to the right side of the green, my buddy Sean Arnone comes out of the park runs to the hole, sees it in the hole, and we start going crazy. So I didn't have 
the reaction of seeing the ball go in the hole, but I had the reaction of my, uh, my three playing partners, you know, took some pictures. I never thought I would have one. I always dreamed of having one. I kind of just said, all right, it's probably never going to happen, but JJ, think about this day. You go play golf at Atlantic city country club with seven of your buddies, right? Then you go to the Borgata and you have oh, a nice yeah, dinner. Oh yeah, that's my kind of night. Okay. You have a night. You have a nice dinner with your boys. You pay for some drinks, which you know, obviously, everybody gets a hole in one. Looks forward to doing that. And then you play some cards and you call it a night. So uh, to have a hole in one on an Atlantic City trip, that was pretty special. Amen to that. Cool feeling. Walk off hit in a Yankee Red Sox game, or hole in one. Walk off hit, Red Sox Yankees, because uh, I'll never forget fifty six thousand people when I was walking off the field, standing and cheering, um, that is a moment that, you know, nobody could ever replicate. Flash, hopefully the next time I have you on, the Yankees are playing much better baseball. And maybe you add to that whole one collection. I know. <laughs> I, I think now that you got one, bro, listen, the floodgates are going to open a little bit. Let's get a couple more, okay? Well, I'm going to say now it's time for you to join the club. Let's yeah, go. Good Pick luck. up your game a little bit. Good luck, Flash. <laughs> Listen, it happens, bro. You will know. I can guarantee you that. You will know. Thank you so much for the time, okay? You got it. Good catching up, JJ. That's our main man, John Flaherty. We got listener voicemails. We'll get you set for the week. All that more. New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. So before we hit some listener voicemails, all in all, good weekend for the Mets. Uh, they get snowed out Friday. Shocker. They played a double dip Saturday, and this game had all the makings of yet another brutal DeGrom effort in the sense that he pitches great. He strikes out nine guys in a row. He makes a mistake or two in the bottom half of the sixth inning, and you're thinking, oh, geez, they're going to lose three to one. They're going to lose two to one. The narrative is going to continue to be the same around Jake, but for once, I felt like I had to get my eyes checked watching it on SNY. The Mets found a way to go and generate offense and bail out their ace. Good at bat from McCann. Good at bat from Jonathan VR. Lindor, even though he hasn't done much, gets to hit to tie the game. Um, and you find a way to win it. Real good win for the Mets. They lose the second game in a double dip. No big deal. But then on Sunday, Marcus Stroman was... Lights out. And Marcus Stroman's been a guy who talks a big game. Said last year he was going to go out and dominate, then doesn't pitch the year. Came over in 2019 when the team was in a pennant race and didn't pitch particularly well. You talk a big game, you got to late pitching. There I say, go and do the talking. He's done that. Yeah, he's got a little bravado, a little swagger, and a little cockiness to him, but you're hurling eight innings of one-run baseball. You're saving your bullpen. You've had three terrific starts kicking off 2021. You get that version of Marcus Stroman, he's going to make a boatload of money, and the Mets are going to win a whole lot of games. So even with the Mets not doing a ton on offense, I'd be preaching positives. The pitching's been good. Diaz has been good. And they've been gritty. Eventually, this team is going to score. they got too much talent in the lineup. Keep winning games. That'd be my advice. Ain't broke, don't fix it. All right, listen to voicemails. I'm sure the Yankee fan like me, very much going to be up in arms. So I'm looking forward to this, I guess. I, I can't even say I'm really looking forward to it because uh, I'm going to be in agony now for, you know, the next couple of days. I'm not in good spirits. Not in good spirits. The Yankees stink. My golf game stinks. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of negativity right now. A lot of negativity. All right, let's let it off. Hey, JJ, it's Bill from LA. 
I think Aaron Boone deserves more time. I think he's just finding his stride. I would keep him for the next three to five years. You know, sometimes sometimes these guys are late bloomers. I feel like he's figuring out the roster. And uh, and here's a plea. Keep Aaron Boone around. I would say until like 2024, 25 would be great. Let's do that. Thanks. You know, I thought there was a limit for how many times you could get on the show as a caller. You know, I, I thought that was the rule. But I guess when you're built from L.A. and you want to be on the show twice and you want to bother Jacko and now you want to bother me individually, I guess you have the ability to do so. Boone is not the only reason his team is 5-10. and 10, But how can anybody in their right mind tell me they think he's doing a bang-up job and that you want him to be the manager for the next decade? That's what I heard Brian Cashman say in the offseason. That is a nauseating thought. Because here's the point-blank, Bottom line on Aaron Boone. Nice guy. Sure. Media loves him. Have the Yankees progressed in a positive way or in a negative way since he's taken over the team? Are the Yankees playing a better brand of baseball under Aaron Boone than what they did under Joe Girardi? I don't see it. I mean, Girardi took teams that had Lyle Overbay, Vernon Wells, Travis Hafner, and won 84 games with a bunch of old, decrepit players. The lack of fundamentals and the overall look and feel of this team, managers got to take a big hit for it. And I've said it countless times. They're not in the World Series. Is his job very much in question? It would be in my eyes, 100%. Who's next? JJ, what's up, bro? This is Alex from the Bronx. I'm a big fan of yours from the WFAN days. And this is my first time calling. First, I just want to say congrats on everything. You deserve it, man. Seriously. These are the first podcast I've ever listened to in my life. And you're killing it so far, honestly. So keep it up. I wish my first time calling was under better circumstances here with these Yankees. But it is what it is. As my uncles would say, these guys are a bunch of fucking stiffs, bro. Forget the record. Just do the eye test. Like, look at these guys. They can't hit. They can't field. With the exception of Cole, every fourth or fifth day, they can't pitch either. I mean, look at the guys around the league. There are plenty of guys around the league that aren't stars. They're not household names. They're just really good hard-nosed ballplayers. And you know what? That's exactly what this team is missing. Those majority of those fucking guys, they play every day. I don't want to be the guy panicking a few games into the season here, but in my heart of hearts, I just feel like this group of guys just doesn't have it. I, I want some real ball players in here. I want guys who can hit. I want guys who can hit a curveball. I want guys who can hit with men on base. I want guys who can fucking pitch. I mean, you and I are the same age, so we're pretty fortunate. We saw a lot of good teams, but those days are done, you know, and if that is just to say, I don't think they're coming back unless some moves are made here. Um, yeah, I just wanted to vent on here a little bit with you and see what you thought, but be good, man. I'll talk to you soon. Well, I appreciate those kind words, Alex. Very, very kind of you to check in here to New York, New York. And look, I don't think the Yankees have a team currently in place that has enough grinders. I've said that for a while. They don't have balance within their lineup. I think the point you brought up as far as their inability to hit off speed pitching has been obvious if you've watched them for the first couple weeks of the year. Nobody wants to throw the Yankees a fastball. They know they're a fastball hitting team. They're throwing them off speed stuff. They can't handle it. It's not even good off speed stuff. Some of the stuff I saw over the weekend from Tampa pitching, this was not Nick Anderson throwing 101 miles an hour. You saw a lot of whoop-de-doopy, you know, curveballs, rinky-dink shit, basically. Couldn't hit it. That's an indictment on the lineup. And it's an indictment on the way they're built. 
they are a flawed lineup from a construction standpoint. They just are. Two right-handed, two all or nothing, and they're not hitting the ball out of the ballpark. No home runs for the Yankees means not going to win a whole lot of games. Who's next? JJ, brother. Anthony from Stanford. Congrats on the new gig. Loved you on the fan. I'm happy to see you on the ringer now. Love listening to the new show. I'm sitting here today. I'm watching the Knicks, and I'm watching the Yankees. A nice Sunday, 1 p.m., good for New York sports. These two teams couldn't be any different, any different. The Knicks play with so much heart, so much soul. I love everything they do. What's it going to take to get the Yankees to get something, a nice kick in the ass, because I need something from this team. They're giving me Ajita every single day. I want to see Boone on the hot seat, maybe something from Cashman. Let me know. Best of luck. You know what I miss, and I appreciate those kind words? The George Steinbrenner missives that I grew up listening to on the old Mike and the Mad Dog program. There would be something special about hearing the music. It'd be the patent music. The, the George missive about not playing up to a Yankee standard. We got to be better. Ba, ba, ba. And there's nothing worse than hearing people say, well, if George was alive, this would be going on. Or if George were alive, that would be going on. Because, listen, he's not here. It's a different world. But that element is definitely missed. I don't know what you can do to spark this Yankee team. You want to tweak the lineup? As John Flaherty suggested, be my guest. They're not going to fire the manager. They're not. As much as you might want them to fire the manager, they're not going to fire the manager, you know, 15 games into 162. I'd be shocked. Like, if I wake up on Monday or Tuesday and Aaron Boone is not managing the Yankees, I- I'd give you plus 10,000 on it. That is just not going to be a change that goes down. Sometimes it's as simple as they got to play better. In every facet of the game, they got to play better. And you're right about that contrast between the Knicks and the Yankees. Early going for the Yanks, all year for the Knicks, alarming. At least from a Yankee standpoint. What's next? Hey, JJ, Jerry from Neuro. Um, just a quick question about Julius Randle. Uh, obviously, he's on a relatively cheap contract based, you know, uh, you know, he's playing like an all-star, like an all-NBA player. But he's making $19 million a year. His contract will be up after 2022. Do you think the Knicks should re-sign him to a huge deal considering he easily command, you know, $30 million plus um, after his contract is up? So, uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm getting into baseball. I've, I've, I've only recently got into baseball. I've been watching some Yankees, and uh, it's a pretty bad year to get into baseball uh, with, with the Yankees. But uh, loving the show. Have a good day. I mean, my goodness, you missed the last 20-plus years of Yankee baseball, and this is the time to jump in in 2021? Yikes. As far as your point on Randall, that's going to be a very difficult conversation for the Knicks. And I think what you need to figure out, what you need to gauge is, okay, is this the player now that Julius Randall is going to be for the next four to five years? Or are we looking at a one-year blip-on-the-radar type deal and he's never going to live up to this again. That's a very, very complicated question. For me to come on and, and say that I wouldn't want this guy on the team for the next three to four years is awfully tough. Consider how many stiffs, using that terminology, I heard it a few minutes ago, I kind of like it. I'm going to roll with it. How many just dreadful players the Knicks have had? You got a guy who wears his you know, heart on his sleeve. He's tough. He has kind of transformed his game, and he's still kind of young. Yeah, I think I want him here for the next couple of years. I reserve the right to change my mind. 
here on whatever, what, April the 18th. I keep forgetting the date, by the way. I don't know why. I, I, I think it's because the Yankees are doing this to me where I'm just basically blanking out every single day and just putting L, 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 like I'm scheduling the Charlie Brown baseball team. Charlie Brown's team always struggled winning. I kind of feel like I'm living in Charlie Brown's world. And this comes from a guy who played on a baseball team my junior year of high school that didn't win a game. I, I feel like I'm reliving that year all over again. But man, tough for me to come on the air and say, I don't want Randall back on the Knicks. Very tough to do. Who's next? Hey, JJ, Ryan of West Balbon, uh, soon to be Myrtle Beach. I did tell you that in an Instagram DM of the day, so I'm very excited to, uh, to keep you on my phone and have you on all the time. I want to talk about John Carlos Stanton. I know his contract actually doesn't run out until 2027 with the uh, option in 2028, but if you look at his contract, after 2025, 26, 27, and 28, you get the Marlins paying $10 million every year. I think there's a possibility the Yankees release John Carl after 2025. Uh, let me know your thoughts. I mean, he is unbearable. Um, you know, eight, eight nothing we're losing. That's when he hits his home run. Home run or bust. Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, let me know what you think about the contract. Thanks and I love you. Bye bye. Yeah, I mean, I can't get wrapped up in what's going to happen four years from now with John Carlos Stanton. Here's what I do know he's going to be here. And if the Yankees could do it over again, they would not have taken on his contract. Because he's exactly the same player that Aaron Judge is, except for the fact that he's tied into the DH spot. The Yankees would like a do-over with Stan. Everybody thought they fleeced Derek Jeter? Might have to start thinking the other way. Yeah, he can run into fastballs and get hot and hit a couple of balls out of the ballpark and look pretty doing so. That contract? The limitations he has as a $30 million a year player? They're on full display, day in and day out. Who's next? JJ, the fellow John from, from, and fellow Staten Islander. I know my stance on this, but I want your stance. As a, I'm a Knicks fan. So if the Nets win it all in the, in, in the playoffs, if they become the champions, will that officially, will that be recognized as ending the New York basketball championship drought the same way as like a Knicks title would? Uh, I personally don't think it would be recognized. It's like a fugazi end to the drought, but curious to hear your opinion on this. Uh, no, I don't think it changes the New York basketball drought. Not at all. I, I think, first of all, Brooklyn has only been in Brooklyn, what, the last seven, eight years or so? They're coming from New Jersey for all those years? No. When you talk about the New York basketball drought, you're talking about the Knicks. For that lifelong Knicks fan, you think Brooklyn winning an NBA title is going to mean anything to them? No. No, 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 no. Absolute nonsense. Can't buy into that narrative whatsoever. Who's next? Hey, JJ. This is DJ from Red Bank. Really quick. RJ Barrett is the new Paul Pierce. Discuss. Thank you. If he turns out to be the new Paul Pierce, Knicks fans are going to be very, very happy. I'm not willing to go that far. How about the fact after the game, Zion Williamson, is basically gushing, gushing over his love and his affinity for Madison Square Garden in New York City. Let those rumors start over the next couple of years. I know the folks in New Orleans probably listening aren't going to be particularly happy about it, but that's actually a superstar. Maybe the Knicks will have a chance to go and get. His buddy Barrett's on the team. Loves New York. Yeah, I'll start dreaming about Zion. Don't worry. That, that column and that podcast is ready in three years from now. Got a long way to go before Zion's ever free agent. Trust me on that. Okay, who's next? JJ, I'm at the Yankee game right now, Saturday. 
and they're not doing jack shit. All right? Now, now I have another issue here, though. In the fifth inning, the ground crew didn't do the YMCA dance. What's with this? It's Yankee tradition. Like, why are they not doing this shit? JJ, talk to me, bro. What the fuck's going on with the Yankees? All right, man. Well, I always figured they did the YMCA at the top half of the seventh inning, not the top half of the fifth inning. But, you know, everything is uh, coming up zeros for the Yankees. No, no punch in the lineup. No starting pitching outside of Garrett Cole. And you didn't get your YMCA. Uh, I'm sorry. You got to have me shaking it. Put on the cowboy hat. Maybe I'll have to do that like I did in the third grade. You know, third grade talent show. Me and like four other kids, we did like the the rendition of the YMCA. Thankfully, video has not circulated on that over social media. Even uh, eight-year-old JJ as a cowboy be getting roasted on Twitter. Guarantee you. Roasted. So hopefully uh, nobody has any ideas to put that up anytime soon. One can only help. Who's next? Hey, JJ. It's Adam from Oklahoma. Listener from afar. Love the show. Congrats. I'm so sick of watching this pathetic lifeless Yankees team just not care. At this point in time, I think we got to blow it up. This is the same team that's lost year after year after year. We'll never win with Stanton's contract. We've got to get rid of it somehow. I don't care if you have to tie Glaber Torres to the deal and ship him off to the Angels or something. We've got to get something else in. It's not working. A bunch of power hitters that just strike out and give lifeless at bats isn't working. If we're not going to spend the money because we're going to cry poor as the Yankees while the Dodgers have the highest payroll in baseball and go add the best pitcher in baseball last season, then it's time to just blow it up and start over. Love the show. Thanks. Adam, appreciate it. I don't see drastic change happening like that until the offseason. I do not see the Yankees taking this team, let's say, in the middle of May and then trading off this guy and that guy. And everybody's going to want to get rid of Stanton because you don't like the fact that Stanton's making 30-plus million dollars over the next five, six, seven years. He's got a full mill trade. So he's got to say, hey, guess what? I don't want to be here anymore. Do I think he's at that point? No, I don't. So moving a guy like Giancarlo Stanton, it's complicated, bro. Very, very complicated. It's not as easy as it looks or as it sounds. Who's up next? JJ, JK from Sayville. Just spent two hours outside of a Target out here on Long Island waiting to uh, get some basketball and baseball cards. Saw you on Instagram a few weeks back, ripping open some packs with the guys from the card barn in Staten Island. Wanted to get your take on where the hobby's going. I know you guys got another podcast on here, Sports Guys, uh, Sport Card Nonsense. You got Mr. Simmons ripping open packs with his kid on Instagram. Just interested in your take on it. Maybe get those guys on here, talk a little bit about it. Who's the, uh, the, the hot New York sports figure whose cars are about to pop? Is it R.J. Barrett? Is it Zach Wilson when he comes into town? Love to hear you guys' take. Love what you're doing, bud. J.K., appreciate it. Yeah, I got to get back into the card craze. I, I had like a two-week run where I was just buying stuff left and right. And then the NCAA tournament happens, and baseball happens, and I started this new gig, so I've been a little distracted. I want to get back into it. It's intriguing to me. I mean, it kind of brings you back, first of all, to like you being an 11, a 12, 13-year-old kid. For those of you who are in the cards, I love baseball cards. I used to play MLB Showdown. That was always a game. I had a ton of fun rolling the dice, having my own team, having that whole deal. Um, I'm not going to be the expert on telling you 
prism, this, that. Like, it, it gets complicated. Sports car guy is going to do that a lot better than me. Um, listen, I have an idea who's, who's hot and who's not. I would want an R.J. Barrett rookie card right about now. I, I think you're going to want a Wilson rookie card the minute he gets drafted by the Jets. You want rookies. That's usually the way it goes. Get a rookie, hope it's the first edition or whatever, and maybe make a whole lot of money down the road. Two more. What do we got? Hey, JJ, this is Tommy, fellow Staten Islander. Um, just want to talk about the Yankees real quick. My only issue right now is the short leash that they have on everyone, from Clint Frazier to Debbie Garcia. These guys are working with a cloud over their head. They're afraid to make a mistake. My thing is Aaron Boone needs to go up to Clint Frazier and say, hey, you're going to be a starting left fielder for 40 games. Go do your thing. Let's see how it happens. But the constant inconsistency with these guys and the lack of knowledge on what am I going to do today if I strike out, am I going to be out of the lineup for 10 days? How are you supposed to produce a consistent product there? Um let me know how you're feeling. Congrats on the pod. Love you. Appreciate it, Tommy. I can't make excuses for Clint Frazier. I'm sorry, I can't. I've wanted to see him in the everyday lineup. I've been upset over the fact he's not been in the everyday lineup, but he's not hitting. So that's not Aaron Boone. That's not on the New York Yankees. He's got to hit. Now, the opener the other day was a joke. That was an absolute disgrace. The Yankees tried to outrage the Rays just like they did in the playoffs. They're all for two. Doesn't work. Don't give the ball to Nick Nelson. You want King to start? Let King start. You have Herman. Get him back up here. Let's see Davey Garcia. That's where I think you're onto something. Last but not least, who's up? JJ. This is Danny from Edison, New Jersey. Longtime loyal JJ after dark listener. First time calling you. Listen, man, I need a little Yankee therapy. A little Yankee therapy like you had the other day, man. I'm thinking about this. I'm looking at our manager, the great, wonderful Aaron. Bleeping Boone, and now it's a different connotation for bleeping for New York fans. I'm looking at him. I'm trying to figure out what it is. What, what's different? Why are they under – you know what? The bottom line is this. Joe Girardi is the forgotten guy in this group of Yankees. Joe Girardi was a good manager. We got rid of him. Why? For what reason? Because he didn't want to follow the, the suits uh, upstairs enough because he hurt a few players' feelings when they, you know, when they were underperforming and he didn't fucking like it? No. The bottom line is this. Whatever the reasons, whatever, blah, blah, blah. This team under Joe Girardi, if you look back every single year, even during the transitional years, he got the most out of every single team. Every Yankee team, he got the most out of them. 2017, that team played with heart. They played with guts. They overachieved. Ever since, the bottom line with Aaron Boone, regular season's one thing, but overall seasons, they have not overachieved. They have not met expectations. Joe Girardi should still be the manager, and I would venture to say, that they would have at least one World Series now, JJ. I'm fed up. I love the fucking Yankees. I love listening to you, man. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. Well, I love your passion, number one. I can't say that the Yankees would have a World Series. Here's where I can find some common ground with you on. They have regressed as a team under Boone's tutelage. There's just no getting around that. Name me the player in this core group of Yankees that's gotten better with Aaron Boone running the team. Has Aaron Judge gotten better? Has Clayver Torres gotten better? Has Gary Sanchez gotten better? Find me the guy. 
Who has taken a major step forward with Aaron Boone leading the way? That's a major hit for him. When he came into a team that was loaded, as they say, with all this young talent that made it to game seven of the ALCS against the Astros. Boone has not played in game seven in the ALCS. He had a good 2019. They floundered in the playoffs in 2018 and 2020, and now they're off to a rotten start this year. They don't get to the World Series. I'm going to say this all spring and all summer. Sounds comical now that they're 5-10. and 10, But if they don't get to the World Series, wholesale change is needed. No other way around it. Wholesale change. We will set the stage. We got a couple of draft props that I'm diving into. Uh, our guy Jeff Money was hot, by the way. He might be checking in. You never know. You never know what's in store. It's New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. So before we say goodbye, I'm now at the point where my focus from a wagering sense is all about the NFL draft over the next two weeks. And when we had Ariel Epstein on Thursday, we had discussed how the odds for that third pick in the draft have changed dramatically with a lot more juice coming the way of Justin Fields. You could have gotten Justin Fields under three and a half, I don't know, a week ago, plus money. Now you got to pay a premium. Under three and a half for Fields is now at minus 130. Mac Jones, on the other hand, if you wanted to take the over on Mac Jones as of a week ago, you would have got a great number. Now the over at four and a half is juiced up. It's at minus 150. And I think what's going to be fun is trying to handicap between Sewell, Pitts, Chase, who ends up being that fourth or fifth pick in the draft. Falcons, you figure they go quarterback or they take Kyle Pitts. So if you like Atlanta to take Kyle Pitts, I'd be all over under five and a half. All over that. I do not think the Bengals will take him. So if Atlanta doesn't take him, I think the over is going to hit. So if you like to have fun with that and you want to be like your own sort of draft guru, you want to be Daniel Jeremiah, you want to be Adam Schefter, and you want to make some money in the process, that's what I'm thinking through. Does Atlanta take Kyle Pitts? If you think the answer is yes, bet the under. If you think the answer is no, go bet the over. And Jamar Chase's value from an over standpoint at five and a half, it's going through the roof. Minus 160 that he's going over five and a half. And that makes sense because I don't think the Bengals are going to take him. I think the Bengals have to take an offensive lineman. Have to take a lineman. And how about our girl, Ariel, nailing Devontae Smith the other day at 11 and a half? It's now down to 10 and a half with the pick. It just goes to show you sometimes with these draft prop odds, you got to find a number you like and you got to pounce on it. So... As we lead up to the draft, you know, we'll, we'll give a few out there. And I'm going to try to nail a few of these by Thursday. Because I don't want to be going into the draft the day or two before and missing out on all the value. I, I want to be on the right side of the value. Now, our guy Jeff Money called in Thursday, gave us two winners. Apparently, Jeff Money is back on the horn. Hopefully, with more winning coming your way. What do we got, Money? Hey, JJ, Jeff Money here with my uh, handicapper picks. Uh, as far as the week, I was 3-0 and for the week in the NBA and 5-1 and in Major League Baseball. So I got two plays for you for Monday, tomorrow, Monday the 19th. But so I have my money play. I'm going to take the early game. I'm going to take the Boston Red Sox at even money. And in the NBA, I'm going to take the San Antonio Spurs minus the one. All right, JJ, good luck. Thanks.
a good weekend for our guy, Jeff Money. And there's nothing like the Degenerate Special. 11-10 Eastern, Patriots Day, Boston-Chicago matchup. Uh, I would go the other way myself if I were playing that game. Now, it's tough to see where the money's coming in because, you know, we're talking Sunday evening. I'd have a much better feel 9, 10 in the morning on Monday. But Giolito, Avaldi, Red Sox been so hot to do the cool off. So, so hot. Hopefully that regression in the mean is coming in more ways than one. Red Sox going down one way. And the Yankees, you would hope. For my sanity. Because this is going to be a long, let me tell you something. It's going to be a long spring and it's going to be a long summer. If this is the baseball I got to watch. It's been a jam-packed edition in New York, New York. We will be back on Tuesday. Jeff Van Gundy is going to join us. I'm so fired up to have the former Nick coach and the television superstar on ESPN ABC is going to join us on Tuesday. We got all sorts of surprises. And remember, if you want to get in touch with the show, because I love the listener voicemail so much, if you're wondering, well, how do I do so? I've never gotten a chance to call New York, New York. I want to be able to call New York, New York. It's very simple. 917-382-1151. That's 917-382-1151. I'm John underscore Jastrzemski on Twitter. JJ out. We'll chat to you Tuesday night. Later, everybody.